Hello and welcome to Informed in Four. I'm James Pierce, editor at Tech Informed, and delighted to be joined today by Mike Rhodes. Mike is the founder and CEO of Consult My App. Welcome, Mike. Hello, James. Very nice to meet you. Thanks. It's great to have you on board. So I'm going to start with a quick reminder of how Informed in Four works, then we'll dive right in. The podcast is split into four sections. We start by getting to know our guests, who they are, their background, and how they came involved in tech. Then we get to know about their business, what they do, and why. Then we'll talk about their tech, the personal impact that tech has had on their lives, as well as their working lives. Finally, as ever, we end with a quick fire round. So Mike, thanks for joining us. Let's start with a very simple question. Tell us the readers the quick version of how you came to work in the world of technology. Very, very good starter question to ease me in for 10. So uh, we go back a long, long time to my youth, and that is quite a long time ago now. Uh, I was always into tech, you know, building computers for friends and family and, you know, having a look at sort of hacking code together and, you know, uh, also using those uh, techniques uh, nefariously at school and, and cracking a few passwords and accounts and things. And, you know, so I've always, always been in uh, uh, in the technology sector. And interestingly, actually, um, uh, I was actually expelled from my school for creating a website, uh, to, uh, which was a jokey website, uh, honestly, so nothing, uh, uh, nothing sort of related by today's standards. It would probably be quite mundane, but I was, uh, yeah, very, one of the first few to actually really get involved in tech. But anyway, but sort of fast forward a bit, I, I then thought I'll, uh, you know, focus on that through my degree. So I'm a, a computer science grad. So I'm a, uh, Coder at heart, and and you know, really through my career, I've been doing development and using data alongside technology to solve business problems. So my earlier career, I worked for Experian, the the, the credit agencies people know them, uh, and then moved into working for SaaS, a big analytics company. Um, interesting fact for you, they were they still are, I think, the world's largest privately owned software company. A chap called Jim Goodnight, who owns it. So I spent a bit of time out in North Carolina and the research triangle there. But ultimately, I was using data to solve, at that point, uh, money laundering, fraud, counter-terrorist financing uh, problems. So a lot of retail banking capital markets thing, um, which was, you know, it was interesting, but I soon realized that that was really dependent on the corporate world and it moved at a glacial pace. So it wasn't really for me because I loved, you know, innovation and tech and moving, doing things that are at the, the, the bleeding edge of technology, not stuff that was done 15 years ago. Um, I, uh, yeah, out of the blue, I got a, uh, a call, actually a LinkedIn message from a colleague I used to work with uh, in Experian, not heard from him for five years, um, out of the blue sort of uh, hit me up and said, hey, I'm setting up the EMEA office in London for this technology startup venture um, based out of um, Brisbane, it had headquarters in San Francisco. Um, and he said, do you want to come and do like the techie pre-sales stuff and basically like the tech dog's body. So I had to do IT, tech support, integration assistance, you know, all of that stuff, helping him sell the stuff and, and doing technical guidance. But, you know, that's how I moved into mobile. So I transitioned from, you know, the, the sort of corporate world of data and tech and into a much more dynamic and agile environment in, in mobile. Uh, and that was about 10 years ago now. Um uh, so that was my first taste. I did that for a, uh, a few years. We built that team to about 20 or so in uh, in London. Um, then I moved to a, another company, very similar stuff, uh, sort of managed their, their customer success team there. Um, had a, a challenge to basically build that over a six-month 
six month period and turned it into a, a nice little profitable unit. Um, and then sort of, you know, looked at where I was and thought, well, you know, what do I do next? I could keep doing this and working for other people or, uh, or sort of go and, and try something on, on my own. But uh, to give you the, the, the background, that is pretty much it in a, in a nutshell. And my interest in technology stems back to an early age. Even before that, uh, sorry, one thing I didn't didn't share and I don't commonly share, but I used to collect like cables and, you know, bits of electronic components before I knew how to do stuff with a PCB. I would just pull them apart, like old radios and things. I just used to find them fascinating. So I've always had a technical mindset. Um, my dad was a, he works in it as a sort of, in a nuclear plant as a, a physicist. So he's quite a technical guy. Um, and I just uh, updated that into the realm of uh, computing. They are very long answer there, James, to what was probably the short question. <laughs> No, that's great. It's great insight. Funnily enough, my dad worked in a nuclear plant, although not as a physicist. He worked more as an engineer. But um, yeah, that's quite interesting. Interesting coincidence. Um, you've obviously had quite a storied career then. What would you say has been the kind of main drivers for you to keep on kind of pushing and trying new things? Because you bounced about a couple of areas there. Um, what, yes. What's driven you? What's driven me? Well, Two drivers for me. One is success and, you know, running my own business and not being a failure. And, you know, you've got, you know, something to prove to the world when you've got your own business. If you, you know, it's all well and good working for other people and moaning about stuff. But, if, you know, ultimately, if you're going to do anything, you need to go out on, on off your own back and, and try and do it. So, you know, I've always had that ambition to go out and do something for myself. My, my dad um, actually worked, he stopped working in the physics environment and set up his own company. So there's some parallels there um, about, well, in the 1970s, I think it was. He, he went into uh, actually setting up a, a car tuning garage and engineer. So he actually got into basically like almost a mechanics repair shop uh, and tuning. So he sort of decided to get hands-on and run his own business and, you know, it wasn't a massive thing. He had a, it just it was him and one employee. But I saw that he actually managed to support us as a family by doing that. So I knew the back of my head it was possible to do. And I was like, look, I want to prove to my dad I can also do this, um, albeit in a slightly different different area. We've not got not got any uh, greasy overalls and oil on the floor like it used to. There. Um, and the second bit is just learning. Like when I was in, you know, the corporate world. It was so, like I said, it was too, it was so slow. I never really learned stuff. Or if I did, it was, you know, once every few months, you might pick up something new. In the world of mobile, it's evolving so quickly. I mean, I feel like such an ancient person in it. Um, I'm only <laughs> 39, uh, but I'm feeling about 79 in the technology world, in the mobile world, because it does move so quick. But it's wonderful because, you know, it keeps me on my feet. I'm always learning something. Every day I come in, you know, Apple have done something, Google have done something, Samsung have done. You just don't know what's, you know, what's happening in uh, in the world. So two drivers. One is I love learning and love being at the, the, the edge of innovation because I like breaking things. You know, if things don't work, to me, that's also an interesting outcome. Um, and, and also I, I wanted to, you know, build a team that, that has to share the same ethos as me of doing things right, doing things to the best of your ability. And, you know, that's that's ultimately what's driven me to where I am. You talked about this um, inherited sense of entrepreneurship, I guess, that you you took from your dad. Um, how important has that been in terms of kind of structuring a business and going out on your own? Because there's always risks associated with doing that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's so. 
it, it's a really, yeah, really interesting one. So obviously my dad only ever got his company to one employee and we're about 50 now. But, you know, I did, I leaned on him a lot early on because, um, you know, ultimately when it was just me, I had a team of one for the first year and a half maybe of the business. So it wasn't really a business per se, it was more of a contractor. But, you know, uh, and then obviously from, from, from then on we grew. But it was useful just to get his thoughts on, you know, best practice with accounting and stuff like that you have to do yourself so you can afford to employ like accountants and stuff. Um, so it was really useful to get his thoughts on that. And, you know, just if we, if there were some issues, he would talk with you some of the things that had happened, not even just in his, um, his you know, uh, company, but also like pre prior to that when he was working. So, you know, it was useful to have a sounding board for someone who knew, you know, the challenges of being a couple of person enterprise, two people enterprise. Um, of course, you know, it's, uh, we, given we've grown a bit since then, I maybe don't ask him as much, but still it's, it's useful as a sounding board, as someone who's had a business. And, you know, you can only really appreciate, it's like having kids. So I get to, I've got one due soon, but that's my first. But, you know, as everyone I speak to, you can't, can't really appreciate it until you've actually done it and got a child. And I think it's the same with a business. You can't really appreciate, you know, the risks and all of that until you you, you started for it. And, and my, my appetite to risk was quite... I was quite eager, uh, basically. So I, I had a fairly low risk uh, or high risk threshold. So, uh, and that's because at that point I didn't have a wife, I didn't have a child on the way, you know, I didn't own a place. I was just renting. So even though I only had, I don't know, probably about eight or nine thousand pounds in the bank to set the business up, it's probably enough for a few months' rent. You know, I, it didn't really phase me because I thought at the end of the day, if I do it and I and I fail, I'll just go back and work for you know another another one of the companies I was working at. Um, you know, would I do that now? Probably not, because I don't think I would be allowed to with a, with a child on the way. But, you know, when you're younger, that's the time to just get in it and, uh, and just throw caution to the wind. I mean, that's a, that's such a great spirit to have. You said that you've always had a sense that you need the kind of determination to succeed as well. How do you measure success? Success is having, uh, in my view, very happy clients uh, that view us as world-leading and very happy employees. You know, if I have those two, ultimately, the other measures of success will just naturally occur. So I don't really care about that. I don't think about constantly, oh, well, I need to go and, you know, uh, grow the company to 3,000 people to be successful. Because you know what? There's someone out there that has one that's 30,000. There's someone else that has a 300,000-person business. That's not a measure of success. Success for me is taking pride in the work we deliver and making sure I grow a company that is full of motivated, intelligent, and happy people, because all of the other stuff will just happen naturally as a consequence. And that that's also part of the reason that I've never raised you know, capital. I've never actually taken any funding for the business. And it's been a totally organic affair because, you know, I'm not, I don't have this obsession that I know some people do. It's like, I've got to have 20 international offices. I've got to have 3000 employees within the first five years. And because, you know, you do that, but you sacrifice control and ownership if you do that. I mean, I still own the business, so it allows me to build it and build a culture and foster an environment which I truly believe in. And I feel, you know, that's what makes me happy. And if I were to, you know, start you know, pushing that elsewhere and taking, you know, funding or investment, I would lose that. So for me, that's that's my measure of success. Is are our clients really happy with us? And you know, thankfully they. 99% of the time are and you know, not often we do things that you know but occasionally we make a mistake like everybody um and you know is the team happy and motivated and 
So I'll constantly plow money back into the team in training, uh, in you know perks and things like that. Because to me, that's more important than just sitting having capital sat around in a bank just to try and you know get another office in uh, in another country somewhere. That those metrics to me are vanity and not not really important. Thank you so much. And it's good to get to know you a little bit. We're now going to move on to our second section where we talk a little bit more about your business. But first, we'll just have a little break to um, hear some messages. Sorry, I'll just put a break pause in there for our editor so he knows when to come back in. Um, brilliant. So I'm here with Mike Rhodes from Consult My App, and we're just talking about his business. So. What's the elevator pitch? What is Consult My App? Consult My App is a mobile marketing agency and consultancy. So I make that point as a very important point because we're not just a black box agency like a, a Merkel or a Havas or a Mediacom. We're not one of those agencies. Yes, we do manage services, but we also provide consultancy. So that means advice, guidance, training, strategy, the things that, that others don't. So mobile marketing agency and consultancy what that does mean is that we are a company which essentially helps our clients mobile apps become as good and as strong as they possibly can be we do that by working across the entire user life cycle that really starts with acquisition the top of the funnel that might be you know awareness campaigns right through to driving installs through apple search ads google ads and so forth right through to post acquisition engagement and that involves looking at product UX, UI, product analytics, uh, communications and CRM and how is that managed. So all of this is really you know, part of the same piece. You, you can sort of view acquisition as one piece, sort of engagement as the other. And you know, the overlap between the two is true growth. So if you want sustainable growth, and that is our core, core driving force, sustainable growth requires exceptional acquisition, exceptional engagement, and an integration of those two, because seldom do you get a wonderful growth engine which is successful, sustainable, uh, repeatable, and efficient without treating you know both sides of the same coin as uh, part of the same strategy. Uh, and that is what we do. We essentially make our clients' apps as good as they possibly can be. Brilliant. Um, who are your clients then? Who you work with? <laughs> Yeah, so our clients are quite varied. So we have, uh, you know, some smaller um, brands or SMEs like Tide, for instance, the business bank, um, through to, you know, larger companies like Trainline, uh, General Motors out in the US, um, uh, Wynn Resorts and Casinos in the States, um, you know, Pure Gym. It, it's a varied, a varied set of clients in many different sectors. Um, so we, we really work across the board in, in multiple countries, but, you know, it is a diverse portfolio and that's really important for two perspectives. Diversity, first of all, makes us very good um, and makes us better at any individual market. So actually, the best people that know how to manage uh, the retail, um, uh, so managing app in the retail space, aren't those that just work in the retail space. They're those that yes, have experience in retail, but also in e-com. They also understand, you know, um, what is it like in the food delivery business or the uh, gaming sector uh, or, uh, you know, or subscription businesses? You know, all of those learnings and, uh, and elements actually improve our ability to service any one market. So firstly, having a diverse portfolio of, of uh, markets 
you know, makes us better collectively because we have lots of things that we take and learn from other markets. Um, secondly, it obviously makes the business more sort of stable. So if, you know, Apple or Google tomorrow turn around and said, right, we're going to outlaw all gaming apps from the stores, you know, we can't be overly reliant or overly leveraged to any one, one vertical market. So, you know, really, really important we've got that diverse client portfolio. Brilliant. And talk us through um, your team. You mentioned you've got around 50 staff. Are they all based in the UK or have you got more of a global footprint? Yeah, so most of the team are based in, in London, in our Gherkin office. Um, and for those listening that don't know what the Gherkin is, it's that thing that looks like a Gherkin, or I know in America people call it the pickle uh, in central London. Um, so we've got beautiful views out over, over you know, the city. Um, but most of us, yeah, it is wonderful. Uh, so, so most most of our staff sort of uh, are really based uh, based out of here. We actually acquired a, a data platform business, software business out in Germany about three years ago uh, called Appleizer. Um, so we have a, a few people out in Germany that work on that from development and data perspective. Um, they provide some amazing data to uh, to us to basically support our engagements with our clients, which we don't make publicly available uh, in some instances. Um, so there's quite a lot of unique proprietary data that we have access to because we own our own data business. Um, but but they're out in uh, they're out in uh, in Germany. So tell me a little bit about what makes you stand out from your competitors. So I think there's a a couple of things. You know, everyone will say, "Well, we're the best." You know, we are. You know, world class at this and what have you. But I think really to be the best, you've got to be the best at data. It's no good saying you've got the best people, you've got the best, you know, whatever. <laughs> Unless your data is better than everyone else's, you know, you're never going to outperforming with the best will in the world. So the fact that we have that data, um, I think, gives us a unique advantage. So we have data on. Uh, the App Store uh, and what the search activity is in there, which is actually 48 hours ahead of Apple's data. So, and that also includes all the other data platforms. So, you know, Meta, Mobile Action, uh, App Annie slash Data AI, all of those guys, they have this, they base their data on Apple's data, which is actually 48 hours old. And it's, you know, it, it sort of obfuscates a lot of um, intraday data. We've actually got hour to hour search activity data. So, first of all, I think that differentiates us. And that's a you know a, a factual you know it's a statement of fact. We have data which is you know so much better than anyone else because we we've built it um, from the ground up. Um, the other thing I think is that we've got a view across the entire um, that entire ecosystem and life cycle. So you know there's a lot of companies out there that just do ASO or just do UA or or just do acquisition. They don't necessarily have the skills in house which look at post acquisition, and that's. You know that's very important because actually, if you're uh, if you've got a wonderful you know acquisition strategy set up and it's a full power hose blowing water into the you know the app, um, if the the app if you consider as a bucket, if it's you know leaky, leaky, you're just wasting a lot of money. Um, that's sort of filling a leaky bucket. So actually, really important that you cover all the holes in that bucket before you start to fill it up because otherwise you're wasting a lot of spend. So understanding how to you know, fill the holes in that, that bucket through a solid customer engagement strategy. So Mike, tell us about some of the kind of ambition, what your ambitions and aims are for Consult My App. What's the dream, the big dream? So the big dream for CMA is to become the 
market leader in the EMEA region for uh, mobile marketing uh, services. Um, and that, uh, as I was sort of saying, really encapsulates the entire user lifecycle from top of the funnel acquisition, whether it's you know paid through um, uh, through sort of uh, social or um, Apple search ads, GAC, or uh, maybe even influencer marketing, right through to organic, um, through to sort of customer engagement, which is sort of you know, the, the sort of comms, UX, UI, CRM world. Uh, I want us to be viewed as the one-stop shop that if you have a marketing challenge, which is either acquisition or engagement or an overlap of the two, which is growth. And in our world, that is um, uh, that is sort of the, the, the key uh, key area to have a look at. That sustainable growth um, is, is, is really where I want us to be. I want us to be the recognized industry leader in that region that doesn't need us to have 3000 people we can be we can become that with 50 or 100 people that we have now so it's uh, uh really that that's a realistic vision and ambition of course that's for the next 2 years beyond that um maybe we can expand to be global <laughs> but we'll we'll start with europe and, and then emir first no, that's good. Actually, it kind of moves us quite nicely onto the next section where we start having a discussion about technology. And it kind of breaks into two sections. So obviously the technology involved in the business and how technology impacts your life personally as well, your own kind of personal relationship with tech. But one of the things being a kind of working around apps and stuff, we've seen 15 years or so since Apple launched the iPhone of apps kind of becoming increasingly more dominant and important in our lives. Um, and, and smartphones as well, kind of having that role. But as a tech journalist who's been writing about tech for 10 years and especially was writing about telecoms, I was being told repeatedly for most of the last 10 years that eventually we're going to move away from smartphones. So I keep on waiting for it to happen. But how do you kind of make sure that your business is positioned at the cutting edge of the technology so that if there is a move away from applications as we know them, that you're still able to offer your services and still lead, be a leader in that sector? Absolutely. I mean, it's a great, great question, that one. I mean, it is something that obviously I'm thinking about constantly because, you know, any founder will tell you or CEO that, they're constantly evaluating business risks. Um, because we are a market uh, in which we depend on third parties, predominantly Google and Apple, although of course that's, that's in the market we all know in Western Europe. As soon as you get into you know, India, uh, Asia, you're starting to look at you know, many, of the, uh, many of the others, Tencent and so forth, that, that are big players out there, Grab, um, that, that have sort of, you know, wholly single apps or, or have their own app stores, particularly in China. It's a massively fragmented system out there um, in which on the, the Android side, which, you know, means there's at least eight or nine different uh, uh, sort of uh, app stores, on, uh, Android app stores out there that probably cover 90% of the market. Um, so actually Google isn't really important out there apart from, from a, a sort of an Android perspective. So, you know, I, I think from, from my perspective, we're constantly evaluating what's happening in the market. Um, so for instance, you know, things like sideloading. So sideloading has been really popular on Android. Well, popular, it's been available on Android uh, for the past, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years, I guess since Android was, was developed. 
and, and sideloading, um, just to, to, to clarify that, is the means by which you get an app onto a smartphone without going through the Play Store or the App Stores on, on iOS. So there are ways of getting apps onto Android phones that haven't really taken off. But I think what we'll see is as Apple is about to get forced to allow sideloading on iOS devices, which is the new thing, we'll start to see a massive explosion in new app stores. So we're not just going to be concerned with the, the Apple App Store. There'll be you know maybe 5, 10, 20, 30 other app stores that we need to start looking at. Uh, so as that ecosystem starts to fragment, it means that we've got to evolve into what we're looking at and our services that we offer to our clients because just focusing on the App Store and the Play Store may not be actually the best way to do it in one or two years' time. So we're constantly evaluating what's going on in the market. And, you know, it's also important to, uh, to, to remember that an app isn't a mobile device app. An app can be a TV app. It can be an app in a car. Uh, so for instance, with GM, you know, they've got apps installed in some of their cars. So it gives you an ability to communicate in the same way as you'd be able to communicate with people uh, that are using the phone and have got a GM app installed on there. So, you know, for us, apps transcend specific devices. An app can be on any device that you're running. But but fundamentally, we, we are always keeping an eye out for other devices and, you know, that, that may suddenly triumph over over the mobile mobile phone. It is, I, in my view, unlikely in the next five years that we'll see something that replaces the the, the dominance of mobile uh, mobile phones and mobile devices for apps. But you know, we'll always keep an eye out for that. So it's uh, part of my job. It is indeed, and that's a good answer. I think but one of the interesting bits is also about. Um... For businesses and enterprise, you know, tech involves readership is primarily enterprises, businesses, and stuff like that. People who work in across industry. Why do you think what you guys do it could be so important to, to people working in enterprise? I mean, why why are apps still so important to a lot of businesses? Apps are so so important, and people are starting to realize this. But there's still people out there that have you know, web businesses that could massively benefit from an app presence that just don't. So two reasons. First of all, you have a giant distribution network. The App Store and the Play Store between them have access to tens of millions, billions, uh, sorry, tens of millions, I'm going to say, oh, billions of people um, who can actually look, find and engage with your brand. So first of all, it is insane to imagine that your brand has no value or use on the App Store or the Play Store. You simply haven't imagined what that might be and how that could help your brand. Um, and, and secondly, you know, what we do is making sure that you know that brand is found. It's visible on the App Store and the Play Store. You know, people use it. People engage with it. They're using it regularly. They're not just you know, once and burn and uninstall type user. You know, we're making making sure that that the users see the value in what our clients are offering in, in the app stores. So, it, you know, really though, the first and foremost is it is a massive distribution network that you will, you know, are you going to find a high street anywhere in this world that has 2 billion people walking on it every day, going past your app store, storefronts? Probably not. In fact, certainly not unless it's somewhere I've not seen. Um, even Manchester doesn't get that busy. So there's, uh, you know, 
there are there has got to be lots of reasons, but I think you know the overarching reason is the fact that there are so many people there. You have so many potential, not just existing, sorry, not just new customers to your brand that may never have heard of you before, but also you can support your existing customers on your brand. There's loads of companion apps out there that add value to your brand through through having a presence in the in the app stores. So. There's lots of reasons, but first and foremost, why would you turn down the opportunity to get in front of billions of people every day? That makes sense. What is an app that's had a real big impact on you? I mean, what's your kind of the day-to-day micro's app? What could you app could you not live without? Uh, do, do I count my email client? <laughs> you know, I, I guess. You know what? I'll say that because actually the email client on my phone is the one that I use all the time. But these are, look, if you can see, these are not even crazily, you know, inventive apps, like an alarm clock. Like I'd imagine if you look at apps that have by usage, the number one app that is used on iPhones and Android phones will be the built-in clock because people set their alarms on it, which is, I'm sure, something that nobody's really ever thought of. Everyone will be like, oh, the number one app's Uber. No, actually, the inbuilt OS apps, that you get preloaded on the devices are the ones that get used the most. That, your email client, and so forth. Um, of course, there are still some people that refuse to use the email client and use the web browser, but um, the uh, I would say, you know, the boring productivity things that I actually need to, to survive in life, you know, are, are the email and the, the you know, the, the sort of clock and alarm and um, uh, calendar clients. Um, but beyond that, into the, you know, more exciting world or more, more interesting world and less productivity um you know the the apps for me are, are probably you know uber to get around as much as they've become a bit flaky recently since you know well since covid i think there's a, a massive issue with drivers so uber i do use a lot and and you know deliveroo um is what i use a lot you'd be quite interesting i don't use any real sort of i don't have any casual games that i play um but but for me I tend to, yeah, I, I, I migrate to using the things that are more of use to me in my day-to-day life. It makes sense, I guess, though. It's the day-to-day usage that ultimately kind of dictates it, and that's what made smartphones so important to our lives is that they, they are able to do all of those tasks that we used to have a alarm for or we used to have a phone book for or, or whatever, the kind of physical things yeah. that they've replaced. I mean... Well, this, oh, sorry, I was say, that's it, but it's also a danger. I mean, you know, I'm not blind to this. It's like AI is a wonderful thing, but it carries massive dangers and downsides to it. Uh, mobile apps are a wonderful thing, but they also have, you know, inherent problems. So you have one problem that people now are wasting a lot of time and they, they sort of sit in an infinite scroll of Instagram and keep going and going and yet before they know they burn hours and hours, not good for their mental health. The, the second piece as well, you've got, you know, now you've got always on access through email, through Slack, through whatever teams you're using. You know, people know that they can always access you at any given time. And because it's probably on your personal phone, days of work phone, personal phone are limited. Um, you know, it does mean you're always on. So, you know, as much as these things are wonderfully useful, they also carry an inherent uh, inherent risk and danger. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that actually takes us quite nicely onto one of the questions that I want to ask, and that's, is there any particular areas of tech that are really exciting you? You said that tech is a passion of yours anyway, and obviously doing what you do, that makes sense. But is there a particular area such as AI or IoT or anything like that that's really, really catching your attention at the moment? 
at the risk of sounding like a pre-recorded cliche, AI is very interesting. But it's it's interesting in uh, it's interesting in the sense of not just you know using it for you know textual communications and you know generative AI where it can sort of it, it could appear to be sort of human like very useful and I think there are benefits to that for our business. It is transforming um, the way people do things. What is particularly exciting for me is, and it's not really got as much um, focus yet, is the image-based generative AI. So the, the creation of um, assets through um, simple, well, simple briefs like I would do to my creative team. And actually the quality of material you're getting produced on that, you know, would pass the, the this, I think the, the sort of the average sniff test of, of somebody looking to produce, you know, maybe set of new um, uh, new screenshots or new videos. The, the one the one thing that AI cannot do though is it can't, or it probably will be able to at some point. Is it still doesn't have the the knowledge of what you know the app store guidelines are for videos. You can put what you like on the Play Store, but you know, if you try and get it to build an app store video, I will guarantee it will be rejected 99.99% of the time. But it is really exciting to see what it can do with creative stuff. Isn't that funny that something that has set rules you'd think that AI would thrive in, is that it actually doesn't seem to be able to function in, but when it's given less rules, it, it can kind of... Yeah, that's really, really, really fascinating, actually. Yeah, and, and I'm, I am certain that somebody will at some point, maybe somebody listening to this will generate uh, an AI screenshot and video builder that conforms to both the Google Play and the Apple App Store guidelines. There's probably a lot of money in that. Uh, I mean, I've seen some, you know, right now, however, you know, for where you've got less rules, I've seen some amazing ads for like uh, Instagram and so forth that are built on that. What's going to be really interesting is when it's, when you start to get um, synth, uh, sort of synthesized human videos, which start to, you know, swamp TikTok, because the whole point of TikTok is it's, you can't put an advert on there. People are not, they get no engagement at all. Mm. Your ad has got to be somebody talking about something. If you can now generate thousands of variants of those types of ads without somebody having to sit and record each one, that is a game changer. And, you know, the, the average punter at home is not going to realize that that's a computer generation, a computer generated TikTok reel. It's not, not actually a real, uh, a real person. Real person. Yeah. Somebody will be working on that. No doubt. Um, I think it's a good chance to move on to our final round, which is a quick fire round. Basically I'm going to throw some questions at you and you can answer them in as much or as little detail as you like, feel like giving, but you know, one word answers are fine. If you want to explain a little bit more then feel free. Uh, I'm going to start off with a fun one for you, uh, Apple or Android. Android every time. <laughs> You're a man of my own heart. AR or VR? AR. Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos? Oh, neither. Do I really have to choose? You do have to choose. Those are oh, the oh, that's awful. I mean, I, I'm going to go Bezos. That seems to be the way when, when people are really struggling to choose, it's Jeff Bezos. The people who don't struggle or go for Elon Musk. It's quite interesting. That's why I'm leaving I mean, it in for yeah. everyone. <laughs> it's, the, it's the better of the two bad choices. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you prefer to travel to the past or travel to the future? Well, I would like to travel to the past. However, there is obviously a, a paradox in that. If you travel to the past, you're going to change the present and the future. So for that reason... 
I am going to travel to the future because I don't want to impact my life until now because I'm very happy with all the friends and family and people I've met. So easy one. I go to the future. Ah, but you forget the other paradox. If you travel to the future and see something in the future and then you'd go back to the past and change it, are you then potentially going to change the future and mean that future doesn't exist? Oh, there we go. oh that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> deep sci-fi talk. Okay, yeah, exactly. let's move on before we get very deep. That's a whole <laughs> podcast on its own. <laughs> um, would you prefer to travel to space or get the chance to visit every country in the world? I'm going to, I'm going to space because... Nobody's traveled in space. I mean, there is somebody in every single corner of the world. So at some point, it will have appeared on Instagram. So, um, you know, I can at least say I've seen it. I don't think anyone's seen all parts of space. So I'd definitely like to go around. Definitely. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, I'd have the power to... I'd have the power to replace broken governments <laughs> and the broken political system because that is a real passion of mine i'd like to change the political the partisan political system away from gang politics and into running this company like a business and i think that would work a lot better it's not it's a bit of a, a crappy superpower but i just think in terms of its impact it'd be far greater than you know the ability to burn things with lasers <laughs> Peaceful Kuman. I think it's an interesting, interesting <laughs> yeah. thing for a superhero. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is the one for for your customers, almost. I guess in a way, free apps or paid for apps. Oh, easy. It's free apps. I mean, are there even any paid apps left on the store now? I mean, it's you know the model. I think is freemium. You give somebody something, let them sample it, let them taste it, and then you convert them into a subscription. Um, or you let them use like a really basic cut down version because at some point they may need the additional features. Easy, easy peasy, free apps. So we've got a final question, which actually comes from our last guest on the podcast. So we ask each guest to put a question for the next guest. You won't know who the next guest is, so it has to be a little bit vague, I guess. Or you could go really specific, but that might make it quite challenging for them. So the guest that our previous guest, Tom Fisk, asked, was what has been the piece of technology that has most improved your life in a personal way? Oh, that is a very good question. Um, oh, this has got me thinking. Why didn't I get prepped with this one? <laughs> um, the one bit of technology that has improved my life. Oh, I tell you what, that's actually quite easy. That is um, really good quality digital pianos. And I tell you why, because I love playing the piano. Could I afford a grand piano? No. Could I have the space for it? Even more an important question, no. However, I can afford, and now millions of people can afford to play on decent quality, uh, decent quality with good action pianos that sound like a good grand piano. And, you know, I think it's wonderful because it's something I do every every night or most nights. So I have a stressful day. Sit, go hammer out some rat man and off, you know, destroy the keys on my piano. And, uh, and then I feel better. Everything is good with the world. So digital pianos, definitely the best piece of technology that has come along so much in the last, you know, 20 years. I used to work in a music shop, so I saw some awful ones, you know, mm. 20 years ago. But digital pianos, there you go. That's a brilliant answer. And in terms of if you could ask a tech leader, and as I said, we don't know who the next speaker is going to be on the podcast, a generic question. So in that kind of vein, what might you ask them? 
So I put this to a panel at the App Promotion Summit about five years ago because I sort of knew the answer I was going to get and they did give me the wrong answer, which I assume. Um, but if, as a business owner, um, let's imagine if they are or if they're not, they can still answer the question, and you get a million dollars to spend, would you spend it on acquiring new users or retaining and engaging existing users? One or the other. Interesting. I don't have to answer because I'm not a business owner. <laughs> but uh, that, that is a really interesting, interesting kind of dynamic. But it's, it's loyalty against, and people spend so much on acquiring new users. Yeah, no, that's a great one. And I will definitely pitch that to our, our next speaker. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today, Mike. It's been really, really fascinating. I had so much insight into what you guys are up to at Consult My App and also, you know, getting to know about your own journey through tech and your own ad ventures that's taking you across the world sounds really fun my pleasure james been absolutely cracking and thank you so much for having me on brilliant thank you so much and thank you to our listeners for coming along with this journey with us um i'm james pierce editor of tech informed that our guest has been mike rhodes who's the founder and ceo of consult my app and we will be back next time with another tech leader for informed informed